Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today was the, uh, from the second New Testament reading from Philippians chapter 4, where St. Paul promises, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is our text. I've got my water, I've got my uh, handkerchief, so I think we're good to go for a while. Are you guys all right? Yep. <laughs> Pastor Fenske is the only one who said yes. So. <laughs> Thought we talked about this. <laughs> okay, so our text, the peace of God which surpasses, that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're a regular attender at a Lutheran worship service, lots of times you will hear that verse at the very end of the sermon. After the pastor says amen, the people stand up, and then the pastor says that. And, and depending on from which translation of the Bible the, the preacher learned it, you might hear slight variations of it. Sometimes you might hear it spoken more like a prayer, may the peace of God guard your hearts, or other times it's quoted as the promise that it is, the peace of God will guard your hearts. Either way, it's talking about peace, which is the topic for our sermon today as we ask the question, peace at any price? In 1776, peace seemed like an impossible dream. When those 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence, I'm sure they did it with a prayer for peace, but also with the fear that war was inevitable. While they wanted peace, they were prepared for war because they knew that some things are more important than peace, such as liberty. And so they were prepared to give up their own personal liberty and even their very lives by placing their names on that famous piece of paper. The risk was real, and the cost was high. History records that five of those who signed the Declaration of Independence were captured by the British while fighting. Two others saw their sons captured in battle, and and one other actually saw his son killed in battle. Many had their homes ransacked and, and burned, and one had his entire fleet of trading vessels sunk. So, peace at any price? It would seem as if that question was answered with the resounding no in 1776 and the years that followed. I'd like to suggest that there's a different way to answer that question And that is to say, peace at any price, yes. 
Yes, a thousand times yes. But it has to be true peace, genuine peace, lasting peace. That's what the colonists were prepared to fight for. Peace cannot simply be declared. It must be achieved and then defended. And there's a price to pay for that, often an extremely high price. We're gathered here today to thank those who have paid that price on our behalf. We begin by thanking the one who paid the highest price for the greatest peace, the peace that St. Paul describes as, as transcending or, or surpassing all understanding. That peace is real. It is lasting. And it is ours because Jesus fought and died for it. And make no mistake, it was a real war that Jesus fought with Satan, even though the final outcome was never in doubt. Although I don't think Satan knew that. It, at least he fought as, as if he thought he had a chance to win. And I guess he did win some battles along the way, but, but thank God he did not win the war. Except he still hasn't figured that out which calls to mind the story of, and I know I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this man's name, but the, the story of Hiroo Anoda, who in 1942 was drafted into the Japanese army, given specialized training in guerrilla warfare, and then put on Lubong Island in the Philippines. When the Americans invaded that island, Many of the Japanese soldiers defending it were killed, and all the others surrendered. Well, not quite all of the others. There were four of them who did not. Hiroo Onoda was one of those. He refused to surrender and fled into the jungle. That's where he remained for the next 29 years, outliving his other three comrades who had done the same thing. Now the Filipinos knew he was out there somewhere and they, and they tried to, to coax him out. But he wouldn't do it. He refused to believe the war was over and so he was not going to surrender. It wasn't until 1974 when his one-time superior commander personally came to the island and ordered him to surrender. And he finally did so. He emerged from the jungle with his 25 caliber rifle, 500 rounds of ammunition, and several hand grenades. Now, Anoda's story is probably the most striking example, but, but there were many holdouts in the Pacific who refused to surrender because they wouldn't believe that the war was over. Which is precisely what's happening in the war with Satan. It's over and he lost, but he doesn't know it. There's a big difference, though, between Satan and those who refused to surrender at the, age, or at the end of World War II. 
Think of the damage that Anoda could have done had he used those weapons that were at his disposal. Thank God he didn't, didn't harm anybody all those years. But unlike Anoda, Satan is not in hiding, conserving his ammo for when he might need it. No, he's still roaming around, actively engaged in in waging war against God and his people, inflicting whatever pain and suffering he can, wherever he can. Which raises the question, how can we experience peace in the face of that? It's by knowing that while Satan can indeed harm us, he cannot kill us. And the reverse is also true. While God could kill us, he doesn't even want to harm us. He wants only to help us, to forgive us, to guard and protect us. That's why in the midst of everything, We can live in God's peace. That's part one of the message, if you're looking in the little sermon summary um, there. We live in God's peace. Part two is not as long as part one, if you're one of those who wonders and, and worries about such things. But it's just as important to know that we who live in God's peace are also called to live as God's people. Here's how we do that. Number one, we don't allow ourselves a false sense of peace, which is really no peace at all. In other words, we are honest about the times and the ways in which we allow Satan to win a battle with us by giving into his temptations. I'm talking about those times when our actions are contrary to God's will, when our lifestyles are are not in accordance with God's word. To live as God's people means to recognize those sins and to repent of them. Are we guilty of the sins of greed or covetousness? We repent of that. Are we guilty of the the sin of gossip? We repent of that. Are we guilty of sexual sins? We repent of that. Are we guilty of of putting our own welfare ahead of, of maybe that of our family or of others? We repent of that. And then we rejoice in God's forgiveness. We allow ourselves to be filled with trust and hope. Trust, hope. Two primary ingredients for this peace that transcends understanding. Trust in God's goodness and hope in God's deliverance. I would say that both of those words characterize those who who signed their name to the Declaration of Independence. If you memorize the words of that document somewhere along the line, I remember doing that in, in grade school. Maybe this last sentence would sound familiar. 
because they wrote, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our solemn honor, our sacred honor. And when we are living as God's people, that, that same kind of trust and hope characterizes us. Oh, I know how easy it is to lose hope and even faith when, when everything seems to be against us. But God's peace guards our hearts and our minds in the battles we face, in those times of looming disaster and despair, as he assures us of his faithfulness and protects us by his almighty power. So we live as God's people first by recognizing and repenting of our sin, then by allowing ourselves to be filled with with trust and hope, and finally by pledging ourselves to vigilantly defend what has been handed down to us. In Romans chapter 12, St. Paul offers this encouragement. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What that means is, is that there are going to be times when it is not possible to live at peace with someone because they won't let us. That's when we have to give up peace temporarily in order to achieve it ultimately. We prefer peace. We always prefer peace. But not an artificial peace at the price of genuine peace. Peace cannot simply be declared. It must be achieved and then defended. We are here today to thank those who through the years and in in so many ways have defended our peace. And we're here also to pledge ourselves, ourselves to fight when necessary for genuine peace for ourselves, for our children, for future generations. Because we understand that there is a price to pay for peace. And following the example of our Savior, we believe that no price is too high for genuine, lasting peace. And so we thank the Lord for his peace, which guards our hearts and minds. We pray for his peace to fill our homes and lives. We pledge to live in peace with everyone as far as it is possible for us. And we promise to fight for peace for others as Jesus fought for us. In his name, by his grace, to his glory. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.